Glory to God. What do you want to talk about? What's the happening? You know, every, every week you ask that question, I'm like, next week I'm going to remember to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think about it again. Yeah, my whole yeah. wish. <laughs> Sorry, I mean to cut you off. Uh -huh. <laughs> this is the last uh, Bible study we're going to do for the year. Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because next week is going to be kind of a little interactive at church. Yeah, so. Is it still going to be 1030 or we're going to bump it back to 10? I don't know. I think maybe 10. 10. Yeah, we'll do 10. Yeah. Round table or? No, it's going to be. It'll be uh, different weeks. Maurice will bring the whiteboard. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Maurice will use the whiteboard. Yeah. What's that? The school teacher thing coming out in the No, Gwen's it's not a, a morning thing. person. No, that's what Rick yeah, said. Yeah. Gwen and Brad are here. I said, Gwen's not a morning person. That's right. So. Gwen's going to be struggling to get here at 1030. Are they here? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Our friendly neighborhood, Priscilla and Aquila, traveling <laughs> the globe, trying to teach people the more excellent way. <laughs> <laughs> For those who are like, what does that mean? There's a guy in the Bible. And his wife called Priscilla and Aquila, and they were uh, friends with Paul. They basically went around helping people to see the more excellent way, of which Apollos was the one they mentioned specifically, who was preaching some form of Jesus, and then they showed Apollos the more excellent way, which is they taught in Paul's doctrine. <laughs> well, so, I had a thought this morning about... Uh, We've come to learn in looking at the spirit of the law when it comes to the Ten Commandments, we see that those are actually promises. If you're partaking of eternal life, it'll create an abundance and a fullness on the inside of you so that you will not steal, you will not kill, you will not lie because you'll, you'll see no need for that because when you go do those things, what you're doing is you're looking for life. That's what would cause you to do such a thing. And, but what I saw this morning was, with that in mind, what does that look like when God commanded them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And we know in the beginning, he's down on one knee blessing them, offering, the, offering man his life. So was he issuing this thing saying, don't go eat of that tree because you'll die if you do? Or was he saying, if you'll accept my proposal, it will create something in you so that you won't partake of that tree? I don't know if you noticed, too, in, in, in regard to that, in regard to the tree of life, there was no command associated with it. Right. It was just there. It was offered. To be partaken of. So he didn't say eat of it, although he did say you could eat of it all the trees of the garden but he didn't there was no command associated with that tree mm -hmm. and uh, but there was to the tree of the knowledge good and evil no question about it I mean I don't know if someone can correct me but is the word command I don't know that it is, it is. I think it is yeah where is that at? let's see 
Genesis. I would say in You're Genesis. In, no, I know in Genesis the word is command. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And God commanded. I don't know. The Lord God commanded the man saying, "Of every tree thou must freely eat." So he, he doesn't just command the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He issues a word about the whole thing. Yeah. It isn't just isolated to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He issues an instruction. This is a teaching and instruction. But well, I will say that he he says, "But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil." So although there was a teaching instruction about the garden, that's true. There was a delineation between the trees and that tree as he spoke those words. He said, of all the trees, but of the tree of the not, uh, knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat. Or you should, yeah, the the point is he didn't just say that out of the blue. He also mm -hmm. mentioned the sure, rest yeah, of the garden. Absolutely. So the command yeah. wasn't only pertaining to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was a larger word spoken. Yeah, that's true. And this was part of the yeah. larger word spoken. Mm -hmm. That's true. that's all I'm saying. Yeah, that's right. Right. Hey, it's the same. I, it's the same I'm, thought. Yeah. The word. I'm sorry, Matt. What was your question, or what was I missed? <clears throat> oh yeah. What you were. It boils down to this: we view commandments as God ordering something, or even to interpret instruction carnally can look like something that's twisted, but yet in the New Testament we see grace teaches. There's something about grace that causes that instruction to be born in us. And I so, always... do you would, but do you see it as instruction or is it just a way of life? I mean, to me, it's like, when that's birth in you, it's just part of you. You don't think of it as an instruction or a, a direction. It just happens effortlessly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Oh, okay. So that's that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah, so it wasn't something God was like, hey, you should not do this. But when you have God's life birthed in you, those things just happen naturally without you even realizing okay. it was. So that's my was question missing. was, with that in mind, what does that look like when God said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? That was what's put on the table. Well, I, to me, when I learned the word command wasn't a military term, mm -hmm. but a loving expression. Like I would tell my child, maybe don't run out in the street. You know, you could get hurt, you know, because I want to protect her. Right. So that changed Years ago, it changed my whole, even my whole perspective of my father, yeah. that he wasn't a dictator, but he was a loving, caring, nurturing dad. Yeah, it's God um, calling forth life. Yeah, and we'll just change the language so people could see it. People struggle to see this, but the same language or the same thought is said repetitively in the Bible over and 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 over again. And it used, different words are used to say the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. So since you brought up the law and you connect it with the tree, let's mix the language, right? And so when God's talking about the garden, he's talking about all the trees. And then he talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's meld the language from the law. God could have just as easily said, you shall have one God, the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods other than him. Mm -hmm. That could just as easily be his language. 
when he starts talking about the trees. Because it's the same thought and the same premise. So from there, then, what does that look like? Is is happening. Right? And, and to, to further expound on what Matt said, it yeah, we could say it's promises, and that's one way to say it. But what 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 the law is actually saying is, is if you have one God, the Lord your God, and you have no other gods besides him, what will happen is, is you will uh, enter rest, right? You will not worship other, uh, you will not uh, steal, you will not kill, you will not destroy, you will not commit adultery, you will not do all those things. And so the premise begins with God, right? Which is the whole premise of the scriptures. Genesis begins with God. God, the only one who has life in himself. And so when it says, you shall have one God, the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods, it's the same thing as saying that the chief of everything is God. God has life in himself. And in the day you look to God for life, and you don't look to anything else for life, you won't steal, you won't kill, you won't destroy, you'll be put to rest, you'll live in rest, you'll dwell in rest, and all those different kinds of things. So what is God trying to produce when he says that to people? Is he trying to get people to follow an order? Or is he trying to declare that he's the only one who has life? Which is the whole point of what he's saying. Yeah. Right? So it's more of a reasoning than it is of an edict. So when God comes and says, you shall have one God, the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods besides him, it's not some arbitrary thing where he decided he needs respect, and if you don't respect him, he's going to be pissed. Okay, that's not what he's trying to say. What he's trying to say is, and if you keep on reading, that he's jealous over our life. Do you know what it means that he's jealous over our life? I'm jealous over, over Becky's life. Do you know what it means that I'm jealous over her life? I know that I'm the only one that can actually give her the care that she needs, right? And in the day she's going to try and go get care from some other dude, I know that dude is not going to care for her life like I'm going to care for her life, Right? And so it's not that I'm jealous over her life in a sense that I'm selfish or something like that. It's that I want her to live and not die. I want her to be cared for and not hurt. So when God comes and says, you shall have one God, the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods besides him. What he's saying is, is I want you to live and not die. But I'm the only one who has life in myself, right? I'm the self-existent one. I'm the chief of everything that exists. Everything that's alive is only alive on account of me laying down my life when I said, let there be light in Genesis, right? And so he's telling us that so that we would look to him to find our desire for life satisfied instead of looking to our own hands and the different things we can build or gather to ourselves or produce by our own works, right? That's why he's telling us that. That's the whole point. And what he says is, if you call upon my name, or if you see the great love wherewith I love you, and he even starts prophesying of the great love wherewith he loves them, because he gives the lamb. And he starts prophesying of the lamb. Well, what's the lamb? The lamb is God pouring out of himself his life. The lamb is God laying down his life for his people. And what did the lamb do when they partook of the lamb? It caused death to pass over them, and it caused them to be delivered from the bondage of the Egyptians. So God is telling the people that in me is life, and I have laid down my life for you to the degree that I have caused death to pass over you, and I have led you out of Egypt. And now he starts talking about he's the only one who has life in himself. And that's kind of what Genesis is. It's a reasoning with Adam and Eve so they can grow in the wisdom and stature of sonship, right? Where their senses could be exercised to know good and evil. And not good and evil that the tree became corrupted with, right? But the good and evil that Hebrews talks about, when it says that 
The law was given to exercise our senses so we could know good from evil. What does it mean to know good from evil? It means to know that which has life to give and that which has death to give. That we might know where life is found and we might see where death is found. Which is the exact thing that is being said in Genesis. When he says, of the, all the trees in the garden you can eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Right? Do you guys see what the point is? You, you begin with the first point. Is God just talking arbitrarily? How did God begin everything when he, when he said, let there be light? When he said, let there be light, do you know what he was doing? Laying down his life for creation. Yeah. He was pouring out of himself his life for creation. What did Jesus say? I only do the things I see my father doing. When did Jesus see the father laying down his life? In the beginning. When, when the father said, let there be light. Yeah. And so the whole point, you have to understand, why is this person talking? What is he saying? Is it just some arbitrary thing that we're coming in on the middle? Oh, this guy has said some things. Let us pay more careful attention to them. You know when I pay more careful attention to what somebody says? When I think they care about my life. And when I think the thing that they're saying is to give me life or to protect my life from harm, then I'm paying attention. If somebody, I mean, in the investment world, since Kinsey's mom was here, right? If she come to me and tell me, if I told her some stocks I was in, and she's like, listen, man, you want to get out with that, right? <laughs> this is what's going to happen, man. And you're going to lose everything. Listen, I'm going to pay care, careful heed to what she said, because within it, those words is her trying to care for my life. And so you first begin with God wanting us to have life, wanting us to live, and wanting us not to die. With God wanting us to transcend a, just a mortal state, a corruptible state, a state where we're able to be corrupted by sin and death, and he wants us to ascend to a state where sin and death can never corrupt us again. And that's what he's talking about. That's the foundation from where he's speaking. It's a calling forth of life in us, is what he's doing. He is bringing forth life in us. That's the whole point. On the way over here, we talked about, if you, I don't know if you caught Callie's smile at the beginning of the conversation, we talked about at least six of the points that have already been discussed. Exact words. Exact words. Oh. And one of the things we talked about was when God said, let there be light, there was nothing, there was nobody listening to him that could have produced the light. Right. <laughs> he right. is the producer of the light. Right. And so it's just like saying, uh, if you interpret the law from the carnal mind, you read it as God's telling you to produce the light. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's why he would say, this is my commandment that you love one another. It wasn't giving you a command to start loving right. everybody. It's that in that commandment will produce something in you that will cause love right. to come forth it's out a, of you. It's the difference between the wisdom of Satan that says, do this, try to do this in your own effort, and God saying, this is what's going to happen to you. Because yeah, like, speaks, it is, you know? And his word is creation. Yeah. So the actual word is it happening. Yeah. We had a 20-minute car ride. And we, we, this conversation tracks exactly with. There's been several times in my life where correction from God came to me. And it would be in different areas that I'd struggled with and, and tried to overcome in the strength of my flesh. But he came with a word. And that word wasn't just, you need to quit that. Well, I already knew I needed to quit that. <laughs> but when that word came, it produced something in me that caused me to quit it. 
There's a difference was, between you hearing you need to quit that and you hearing life is not found in that. Yeah. But even, even though life's not found in that, life was found in that word that came to me. And that's what caused the change. Yeah. It, 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 the, I, I like that you bring up the law analogy because even if you think we shall have one God, the Lord, you shall have one God, the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods. You think he's commanding you to do that or ordering you like a, a military general or something. But he says that after he tells them that he has given the, them statutes and judgments. And what he's saying is, if you can actually see the wondrous things that's in this law, that talks about me bringing forth life in you, that talks about me providing myself a lamb to cause death to pass over you, that talks about me leading you out of Egypt by the strength in my hand, not the strength in your hand. If you could see all the wondrous things contained in the statutes and judgments of the law, it will produce something in you where you have one God, and that one God is the Lord your God. And the reason why you would only have one God is because you would not see any need to try to gather life to yourself. Because you would find your every desire for life satisfied in him. So that is what will put you to rest. That's why the, the, the first commandment is observe the Sabbath. How do you observe the Sabbath? You don't observe the Sabbath by resting. You observe the, the Sabbath by beholding the work of God. And within the work of God, there's rest for you. Yes. Because if you see he's done a work to give you life, you ain't working yourself to try to get life. Amen. Right? And if we just use it in the scope of relationships, if I find my desire for life satisfied in God, I won't be trying to have a relationship to find satisfaction in my life. Right. You see what I'm saying? I'll be wanting to have a relationship just for the joy of sharing my life with somebody, not for the joy of finding life. Do you see? And that that changes things. And now, if you're trying to find a relationship to, for, for having life, you can do all sorts of things to get the relationship. You could do like David did, which is go and kill Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, because you could think, I need that woman in order to have life. And if you think I need that woman to have life, the next thing that's coming forward is stealing, killing, and destroying, right? But if David would have saw, no, 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 within God is the, the, the satisfaction of this desire I feel for life within God alone, right? Then he would have been put to rest and he wouldn't have gone and killed Uriah, right? Do you see the dynamic there of how it works? Or you'll be like John Travolta in The Urban Cowboy, looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong places. But do you, do you see the, the dynamic of what, what would cause somebody not to steal and kill and destroy what would cause someone to steal and kill and destroy? Right? It, you would steal, kill, and destroy if you're trying to satisfy your desire for life. That's how it could happen. That's what it means to worship other gods. It means you're worshiping the works of your own hands. And that's what's happening. And because you've implemented your own strength to produce life, you don't have life in yourself. How, where, how many of you have read the verse that says, and Adam is life, and Adam has life in himself? Are we self-existent? No. no. Then how can we produce a life that's self-existent? You can't. You have to be self-existent to produce a life that's self-existent. Right. right? And so we can't produce life. That's the whole point of God demonstrating the life you desire. I put that desire in your heart, actually. And it's in me, the life that you're longing for. And I put that in your heart because I'm longing for you. 
and I'm longing to lay down my life for you. I know you might think it sounds weird because you were born in a world that taught you it's more blessed to receive than to give, but I don't think you understand. I am just, I'm going to ever live to pour out myself for you, right? And I'm the only one that has what you're longing for. And that's what brings the two together, right? And that's what makes heaven and earth collide. This is the commandment, life everlasting. And the commandment is life everlasting. Jesus said the Father gave him commandment. And do you know what the commandment was? Did you just say it? Well, that's the result of the commandment. <laughs> the commandment was, Jesus said, that the, he didn't come to speak of himself. He came to speak of the Father. That's the commandment the Father gave Jesus. That's what it means that Jesus was begotten. It means that the Father caused Jesus to appear. The Father said, let there be life. And so Jesus is the manifestation of the Father and the life the Father has in himself. And so G Jesus was given commandment by the Father to come into the earth and reveal the Father to everybody, right? The life you're longing for, it's in God, right? This is the life you're longing for. The resurrection is God declaring to everybody, isn't this what you want? Isn't this what you're actually longing for? Isn't, isn't this the only thing that's incorruptible? Right? And you, you start to see that. So the Father brought Jesus forth, or he caused Jesus to appear in the earth so that Jesus could reveal the life the Father has in himself and reveal the Father's desire to pour out of himself his life for the world. That's what he came to reveal. Now, that revelation is life everlasting to everyone who will hear it. Right? I, I gave a message years ago and was actually asked to leave the ministry because of the message I gave. And this very morning, a friend of mine, um, he was a Vietnam hero, he's decorated, but he wrote, grace is something we don't deserve. Mercy is the punishment that we did deserve, that he didn't give us. So my message years ago was the opposite, that He's the good shepherd. He's not holding his staff to beat us. He's holding us. Grace is his love to rescue us from death. You know, and I'm thinking, that's a good message. You know, that, wow, that's love. But it's amazing how that's not received. You get pushback on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just not the love of, of our dad is not received. It's it's more about a penal substitution instead of I love you, I care for you, like Matt said, I'm going to gently bring you the thoughts that I have or whatever I do that, that isn't good. He is going to manifest the goodness in me. Yeah. It's not me trying to be a little Jesus. You know, penal substitution, it, it's really you it's real simple to weigh that out. The world is steeped in penal substitution. Yes, it is. So if the world is steeped in it, then that's your first indication that God is not. Right? Because the wisdom of the world is contrary to the wisdom of God. So listen, we punish people all the time for their bad behavior. Don't we? Yeah. How many of those people you see live forever because we did that? None. 
I mean, in fact, we don't even see any of those people like really be rehabilitated, quote unquote. <laughs> right? And so the world's idea is the way to bring forth life is through punishment. Right? Yeah. Punishing offenders. Well, God doesn't see that as the way to bring forth life. And we have a whole system of world that has proven that the power to bring forth life is not found in penal substitution. So you could just ask yourself, well, we have jails and prisons now. That's penal substitution. We have the death sentence now. That's corporal punishment. And, and that isn't God's way. But before we move on, Maurice, talking about God, the commandment of God, from the perspective of God calling forth life in people, right? Does God command us, order us to be sons, or does he call forth sonship in us? Yeah. And how does he call forth sonship in us? By telling us we should be sons? By showing himself as father. So in the day he wants to call forth his life in you, he doesn't give you orders to perform. He shows up and reveals himself to be father. And as you could see that he's the father, that in him is life. That will bring something forth in you where you would call out Abba, right? And, and that whole dynamic is life everlasting, right? But the, the, the commandment, so to speak, is the Father calling forth sonship in us. How does he call forth sonship in us? He causes the life he has in himself to appear in the man, Jesus Christ. We see the life of the Father in the man, Jesus Christ. We see the heart of the Father in the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I don't do anything I don't see my Father doing. Jesus came and laid down his life for the people that even hated him and rejected him. That's the revelation of the Father in our midst. And then the life coming out of the grave is the manifestation of everlasting Father. And that that is the commandment. You can, if you wanted to boil it down to where you can't do any work, right? And you can't work the commandment, the resurrection is the commandment, right? How are you going to work the resurrection? You can't work the resurrection. You're not supposed to work it. You're supposed to see it. And in seeing it, it brings something forth in you, right? Where you see he's father, right? And then you would cry out, Abba, right? You would cry out, Abba. That's the whole point. Like Glenn would say so beautifully, only a father lays down his life for his children. And when you see the glorification of, of Jesus and you see everlasting father there, it causes you to see this guy really is my father. Right? And you start to see he's the only one who has life in himself. <laughs> and finished uh, Bernie's book. That thing was so good. But the one thing I really walked away from that really touched me was <clears throat> what his title, Innocence. People are, are, have innocence. Yeah. It's just, it, you look at people totally different. You yeah. look at people who, who uh, you look at people who Jesus, yeah. you know, mm. through that love. Like Father. Mm. Because innocence would be to speak mm. of little children. Right, yeah. right. So, and our, my grandchildren mm. was, was with us um, all week, you know, laughing and, can we set a bonfire? Let's go walk in the rain. Let's go fish. You know, it just was so beautiful rather than the daily grind. You know, it was just, I was just so happy. We went, we had a great time. And and what steals the innocence though? What? What steals the innocence from someone? The world. Yeah. But, but what does that the, look like? The, the corruption, uh, <laughs> it, like in my house, as I started growing up and God will punish you. 
and we had a we had a serious penal substitution. <laughs> I mean, whack. So if, if God will, and, if God will punish you, what what happens? The weight of bringing forth your own life yes. is cast upon yourself. The weight of protecting your own life, the weight of self-preservation is cast upon you. It's a, it's, we have a famous cliche to tie this into to Father that we say things like their innocence was stolen from them. Mm-hmm. When do we say that? Mm-hmm. When do we say someone's innocence was stolen from them? When something bad, happened. When something oh. bad happened to them. And why do we say their innocence was stolen from them? Because they carried the weight. Because now they were confronted with the the death in the world, mm-hmm. right? And now they were confronted with the heaviness of preserving their own life. Because mm-hmm. the next statement we make isn't just that their innocence was stolen from them. You know what we connect with that thought? They grew up way too fast. Mm-hmm. What does it mean that they grew up way too fast? What do adults have to do? Carry the weight of life. Like TK, when you were in your, your father's house, when you were a little boy, were you working for a wage? Were you paying the bills? I wish I, wish I was working for a wage. <laughs> but you, you weren't paying for the food. You weren't paying for the electricity. You weren't paying for the sheets. You weren't paying for your clothes, right? And so you were a little child. Your mind wasn't filled with, how do I have these clothes? How do I have this bed? Why are there lights even on? Why is there, how did the food get on the table? You weren't thinking about that kind of stuff. You were just partaking. Right. But then you grew up and now that you've grown up, what happens? That weight is on your shoulders to provide a house for yourself. And so when we talk about innocence, scripturally speaking, innocence is to live as a little child and to live in a little child is to live not carrying the weight of bringing forth your own life. That's what it means to live as a little child. Now, you can't make yourself like a little child. What happens is, is if you see somebody else that's carrying the weight of your life or carrying the weight of bringing forth life in you, that will set your conscience free from carrying the weight yourself. Then you become innocent or living as a little child, right? And so mankind grew up way too fast. And the reason why we grew up way too fast is because we were stung by death in Adam. And that stole our innocence. It's not about guilt or innocence in a penal substitutionary code. If we're rejecting penal substitution, then we need to move away from describing innocence based on penal substitution. We have to describe it in a family dynamic. Mm -hmm. And so innocence isn't about guilt or innocence. Innocence is about living as a little child or carrying the burden of bringing forth your own life. That's what it's about. And so in Adam, we lost our innocence because now we were carrying the weight of clothing ourselves with life. We were carrying the weight of self-preservation. We are carrying the weight of death management. It's a heavy weight trying to manage your death. Yeah, put it another way, to lose your innocence means you believe the accusation that you're not a child of God. That's right, that he's not your father. Because there's an there's an, there's, a, there's accusation against you. That's the accusation of Satan against mankind. You lack God's life. Yeah. You can be like him if you do this. You lack God as father. Yeah. And then the, yeah. the next premise with that, which would be to live as an orphan, yeah. which is when a person's innocence is stolen. And what is an orphan left to do? Yeah, which is makes that the idea of adoption sense. really applicable, doesn't it? Right. Fend for yourself. That's what an orphan does. Why does an orphan think it has to fend for itself? Because it doesn't believe it has a father. (laughs) I don't have a father. And whatever father brought my life into the earth, he ain't here to care for me. So he is not as he ought to be as the one fathering my life. So I have to father life myself. And that's what happened in Adam. 
And the first accusation to Eve questioned the integrity of God as father, right? That's the first thing that he did was question God's integrity as father. That's what he does in the earth today. Look at all the death. Is God really the father you need? Look at the world. How can he be the father you need? You need life. Look at the death everywhere. Where's God? If he's really your father, where is he? Look at all this stuff. The whole premise there is to get us to take on the weight of being a grown-up, right? Take on the weight of bringing forth life ourselves. And to the point of death management is a heavy thing. I mean, I wake up every day and got to take a whole slew full of vitamins. I go to bed at night having to take a whole slew of vitamins. I got to think about what I'm eating and I got to think about exercise and I got to think about all these things, man. And you know what happens when life gets busy? I can't do all those things. And you know what happens? It starts happening to my body. Man, it starts bloating. It starts getting heavy. It starts feeling weak. All that stuff, man, it's all death management. That would, that's what entered into the earth. And God come to put our ideas of managing death to rest. Because God's idea of death management is consuming it to where it doesn't exist anymore. That's God's idea of death management, right? Now that you guys are living as if you're an orphan, you can clearly see your biggest problem is death. And I know the devil is pointing to that death and telling you that I'm not the father you need. Well, I'm going to show you I'm the father you need because I'm going to show up, take that death into myself, and then I'm going to consume it inside of myself to the point that it doesn't exist anymore. And then I'm going to show you the life I have in myself, the life that I promise to give you, the life that only a father can give their children. I'm going to promise you that life in the resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's what the, the whole thing is about with being restored to innocence. It makes you as a little child again, which is why Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you will not partake of the kingdom of heaven. That's what he's talking about. Unless you take his yoke upon you, his doctrine. Jesus lived as a little child. Do you ever see him anywhere taking the weight on himself to bring forth life? Every time somebody told him to bring forth life, did he do it? No. No. Why not? And when somebody came to him and said, good master, what did he say? Why callest thou me good? There's one who's good, even God. And so Jesus was living as a little child. That's the part that we struggle to comprehend. He was living as a little child, right? He was innocent. He wasn't carrying the weight of bringing forth life. His heart, his conscience wasn't stung with the fear of death. Your innocence is stolen when you're stung with fear. That's when your innocence is stolen. And you're stung with fear when something has entered into your life that is the fruit of death. That's when your innocence is stolen. And now the fear of death or the fear of your life being harmed is trying to get into your heart to get you to take the weight of your life onto yourself to cause you to live as a grown-up instead of living as a little child. And so God doesn't come and say, don't you know I'm your father? You should be living like a little child. God doesn't come and say, stop caring. That's what the carnal mind will say. The carnal mind will hear what I just said and say, well, I shouldn't care about my life then. Let me try to do that. That's not what we're talking about here. This isn't about you hearing the right way and you trying to produce it. This is about you seeing the father has life in himself. And he is with you to produce that life in yourself. And then you start looking at the father. And then the father starts working his way out of you. That is the teaching and instruction. He teaches and instructs you by showing you himself 
and the life he has in himself. And as you behold that, that will discern your heart. It will actually bring everything out of your heart into the open. It'll bring out all your doubts, all your insecurities, all your fears, all your confusion, all your pain, all your trauma. It will bring it all out in the open and then you will start talking with God about it. That's called an unconcealed heart. Come to the throne of grace with an unconcealed heart. And as he draws all of that out of you, all the reasons why you say, I am an orphan. Because we all got a bunch of reasons why we living like an orphan. And we all got a bunch of reasons that we need answered. And then he brings that out by showing us himself. And then one by one, he ministers his life to each of those areas to deliver us, to restore innocence. Right? That's the the restoration of innocence. Because we're not like evil people. That's why, and that's why we won't live as little children. It's that... Man, we've been abused and traumatized by the death in the world, by fear. Fear has stolen our innocence. And fear has got us doing things to try to protect our own lives that we would have never done if we hadn't been confronted with trauma. And did trauma come and say, thou shalt be afraid? And then we had to go try to sort out being afraid? No, trauma just presented itself. And in presenting itself, it called something forth in us. And you know what it called forth in us? Laboring and toiling. Because fear traumatized us. It's the same way with God. He just shows up. And he shows us the life that he has in himself. And he doesn't just show us the life he has in himself. He took all of our trauma, all the things we're afraid of, all the things we thought hurt us, stole from us, killed us, destroyed us. He took all of those things and he let them all come on himself on the cross. The cross is the picture of our trauma. And all the things that we're scared of, all the things we're trying to keep ourselves from. The cross is the picture. Nobody wants to end up like that. Yeah. <laughs> that's the picture of where we're, what, that's the weight we're all carrying. We're all trying to avoid ending up like that. Yeah. <laughs> now in America, we have a, a more civilized society. So our idea of not ending up like that is you got to have a certain car. You got to have a certain amount of money. You got to have a certain retirement plan. Yeah. You got to go on a certain amount of vacations. You got to have the right clothes. You got to have the right number of kids and the right spouse. That's our idea of not ending up like that. That's why you see people that maybe don't have kids or aren't married. That's why you see them feeling like, I'm dying. I'm dying. Because that's what's going on. And so God delivers us from the trauma of the cross by revealing the life he has in himself. He revealed the life he has in himself by bringing forth Jesus into the earth. That's how he did it. And now we see this life, right? is greater than the trauma. And that starts working to restore our innocence. And the way it does it, you don't become afraid of the trauma if you see there's something that makes trauma bow down. You start, your mind is gonna start thinking about whatever you think is greater, right? And the moment you can start to see that his life is greater than the trauma or the death or the lack, and you start seeing that, your mind starts, innocently or effortlessly meditating on that life right and now you find that life ministering uh childhood to you you find that life restoring innocence to you just by that life convincing you of everything right in my own life there were things that if it happened i thought i don't have what i need to have life like if things would go wrong i would immediately feel like okay I don't have what I need for peace and love and joy. And if I can fix that, then I can have peace and love and joy. But then God showed me a life 
that could even produce peace and love and joy in a guy who was nailed to a tree. And so then I started realizing, no, there's a faith in a life that has no lack and can't be caused to lack. So all of a sudden that life became greater than whatever suffering I could encounter. So then I started thinking about the life instead of the suffering. Do you see? Now that delivered my conscience from fear. And now that's how you start living like a little child again. Right? That's the lifting up of the life of God. That's what he's wanting to do in us is cause us to be able to see because that lifts up his life and causes us to be in awe of that life instead of what is going on. So the Apostle Paul said that I count all of these afflictions as light compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. And adulthood would be I count all of the afflictions greater than the glory. That's when you're living like an adult, when you count the afflictions to be greater than the glory. And so now what happens is your mind is all the time twisting on the afflictions, the suffering, the pain, how strong it is, how powerful it is, how much of a giant it is, right? And you're living like the Israelites were when Goliath came and stood on the edge and stood in front of them and started challenging them and mocking them, right? The uh, one of the one of the things Bertie goes on to explain pretty good in a lot of detail. One of them was about innocence. He explains about sin, and and basically he says we bought into a process that thinks will give us life. So, believe it or not, Thomas is one of the ones I thought of, and myself. I mean, because mine wasn't, uh, <laughs> mine wasn't, uh, um, I don't know, heroin. Mine was sports. I lived and died by my performance. Yeah, you had another guy. But Thomas, this really touched my heart when he had a case for four years, right? And it didn't go well. And he was hurt. And his son sent him a letter. I cried when I read that letter that you wrote. Um, and He wrote. Yeah, that it been he he really and then what Thomas' reaction was so beautiful and that was like that was like to me um, our dad hugging both of you you know just saying okay it's all right that's not where it is and and the way you explained mm-hmm. that's not where it is was beautiful mm-hmm. yeah well what was phenomenal about that was uh, God. My father was speaking to me through my son. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was what was, and like, we do that to each other, and that's a beautiful yeah. thing. I mean, yeah. at the at the at the Branson, that was I didn't even know some of these people. I loved them. Yeah, you know, it was awesome. Well, they all knew you, Billy. <laughs> <laughs> they could hear your voice, <laughs> and now they can see your face. More. <laughs> You guys see the, the point of innocence? So even if you think you're living in fear, the answer isn't to stop fearing. The answer is to behold the life that's in the Father. And you and guess what? He doesn't leave it even up to you to sort that out yourself. He poured out his Holy Spirit, which is him pouring out his life. The same life he poured out in the person of Jesus when Jesus was crucified. The same life he poured out when he said, let there be light. He poured out the Holy Spirit to give shape and form. And so he poured out of himself the Holy Spirit to help you behold his life, to help lift his life up in your sight, right? To bring it to your remembrance. That's the intercession. 
He intercedes in your heart with the life he has in himself as you walk in this world encountering the death or the trauma or the tribulation, right? Because if you guys realize something about trauma is once it, it pricks your heart, the trauma, you get something like PTSD. And you can be triggered as you walk in the earth, right? Well, the Holy Spirit starts interceding in your heart, right? And the trigger starts being healed, right? Where you start becoming like Jesus, like a lamb led away to the slaughter. You know what the thing is about a lamb being led away to a slaughter? They don't do anything to try to stop it. Because their conscience isn't filled with the slaughter. Yep. How many times did Jesus try to prevent his slaughter? Why not? Well, there was that one time where he slipped through the crowd. But I think that was because it wasn't that time. Yeah. Right. Didn't it say that? Yeah. He did. Yeah, I don't He's know. Like, that's him trying to prevent his slaughter. No. I agree, but I'm just saying yeah, yeah. it wasn't the time for his slaughter. Yeah, yeah. But you know, they could have stoned him to death right there. They called him. But do you think it would have happened if they would have? No, I think everything happened the way God intended. But I'm just saying. And his mother took him away when he was a child to protect him. Yeah. Because it wasn't his time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To be to display the life of God on the cross. Yeah. Why did the tree of knowledge even exist in the first place? That's a whole big long conversation. That we had recently. I got five minutes. I did a bunch. Of, we did a bunch of, of messages about that. Um, there's a lot of places you you have to to look to try to fill out the the idea of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, Ezekiel, if you go look in Ezekiel, you can read about the tree in the midst of the garden. And is talking about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it 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 speaks synonymously with uh, anointed cherub. So it talks about the tree synonymously with the anointed cherub, and it talks about a cherub being anointed to minister to mankind, right? And it talks about this cherub was the most beautiful tree in the midst of the Garden of Eden, and it said then that cherub corrupted its wisdom, and that cherub looked at the river from which it got its beauty, and it rejected the river from which it got its beauty. That was supposed to be the wisdom it conveyed. It was supposed to be ministering to man. You see this beauty I'm clothed in? That tree there, the river of life, is what clothed me in this beauty, partake of that tree. But then the tree looked at the river from which it got its beauty, rejected the river, and said, I will be exalted by the multitude of the merchandise I can gather to myself. What that means is, is I'm going to exalt myself. Forget the river. So now the tree began declaring to Adam and Eve that they could exalt themselves, right, by their own strength. And so that's what the tree was supposed to do. It was supposed to minister. You could say they were supposed to grow in wisdom and stature, right? They were supposed to see. It was supposed to exercise their senses so that they could see the way to be decorated in the life of God is by eating from the tree of life. That's what it was supposed to do initially. And then it corrupted its wisdom, and it started doing something else. If you go and read in Jude, it talks about the angels leaving their first estate, right? And what that's talking about the fallen angels. And what that means is, is they were supposed to be ministering servants to mankind. What were they ministering to mankind? What would they have been there for to minister to mankind? Pointing to the Father. Pointing, pointing to the Father is exactly right. And in fact, if you look in the earthly tabernacle, there are cherubs there over the mercy seat. 
Those cherubs are anointed. And so, the, the, if you want to talk about Satan, Satan was an anointed cherub. Right? And he was in the holiest place. And what he was supposed to do was to minister to man, whatever you want to call it, he was supposed to help man come into the, the presence of God and partake of the life of God, from God. That's the role he was supposed to have. But then he corrupted his wisdom. Now, some people can get into nuances and say, well, is the is Satan the tree itself or is Satan the serpent that came up and started speaking wrongly about the tree, right? I, I mean, you could, you could, I think that's a philosophical argument. I, I wouldn't find fault if somebody wanted to say it that way, mm. right? But the point is, is that the, the tree contained a wisdom that wasn't initially uh, bad. It wasn't initially corrupted. It became corrupted. Something corrupted it. Do you see? So it wasn't like a test. It wasn't like a free will thing? No. It, well, man has free will anyway, right? Mm -hmm. If Adam never didn't want life from God, he, he could just return to the, the dust of the ground. So I guess it depends on what you mean by free will, right? Yeah, I always thought about the tree as there's an actual tree, you eat the fruit, and then you have the capacity to sin. Yeah. So, so if, if you, you eat... didn't eat that, you wouldn't have the capacity. If you didn't eat that, you wouldn't have the capacity to sin. I mean, that's... That's an accurate statement, but it would be from the perspective of once you ate from the tree, you're now, uh, you're mortal. Mm -hmm. You have to be mortal to be able to possess the capacity to quote unquote sin like you're thinking of. Mm -hmm. An immortal can't sin, right? Because an immortal can't be stung by the fear of death. Mm -hmm. And the sting of death is sin. Mm -hmm. So the only way you can possess the capacity to sin is if you can be stung by death. That's why there'll be no possibility for sin in the new heaven and the new earth, because we'll all be glorified with immortality. And so you, no one will have the ability to sin again. A lot of people mm -hmm. think, well, what will keep it from happening all over again? Well, we won't be naked in the new heaven and the new earth. We won't have the ability to be corrupted by death. We'll be incorruptible, mm -hmm. right? If you wanted to say it that way, it wouldn't cause me any problem. Then. No, yeah, I'm just trying to connect the dots on what the point of that was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are like a multitude of questions that can be asked, in particular, why? Mm -hmm. not, not, you know, what about this or what about that? That why did these things occur? And some of those questions are not answerable. Mm -hmm. You know, why did some of the angels fall and not all of them? I don't know. I, how would you know that? In other words, yeah. if angels are fallible beings, because some of them fell, yeah. why didn't they all fall? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's certain questions that are kind of unanswerable. So what you got to do is look at the truth that is communicated to us and learn to discern by that truth. And additional questions can be answered for you, but, but your understanding and coming into a knowledge of, of the truth that actually saves people and the truth that builds them up in the faith comes from what we can know. The things that we don't know, well, that's for God to reveal. And so the issue, the real issue is, 
what has been revealed and what does that mean to me? What kind of impact can that have to me? And the fact is, you know, uh, Jesus is the tree of life. To partake of him is to possess the life that overcomes the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when you live in that innocence, when you live in his life, in, in his perfection, you begin to view the world differently and to judge the things in the world differently, not according to the degree of knowledge of good and evil, but according to innocence and life, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's not bad to ask questions. It's good to ask questions. It's actually good to ask questions. But if you take those questions to the nth degree, needing to know why for everything, you will forever be seeking and never just coming to a knowledge of the truth. Yeah. You want to think about questions from a place of innocence. Yeah. Not from a place of life is found and finding the answer yeah. to all the questions. That's right. Absolutely. Right. And then you'll actually find a lot of answers. Absolutely. You're not like striving to get them. Yes. You're just hanging out with God. Yes. And next thing you know, and just hanging out with God, because he knows everything, you can find yourself knowing things that you don't know how you know it. Right. But something I think about with different doctrines, people like to debate what they believe just based on what they read in the scripture. I don't really like that mm -hmm. because I think that just involves to Thomas's point last night. People take a position yeah. and they take a position based on their own understanding of what's written in the scripture. Whenever I think about what I believe, I think about is this belief a stumbling block to people seeing God loves them and wants to give them life. Right. Or is this belief helping people to see God loves them and wants to give them life. Right. So when, when I reason about different doctrines talked about with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I, I don't get caught up in taking a position other than whatever I say about that. If it causes people to think God isn't only good, then it's a problem. And if it causes people to think that God uh, doesn't have their best interest at heart, then it's a problem. And I start looking at it like that. Right. And so the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is if, is if you say God planted that there to test us or to to see what we would do. Right. And that that means God himself put that into the earth. That'd be like saying, well, my dad got a bunch of the neighbors to drive up and down the street real fast. Yeah. So he could see if I would listen and not go out into the street. Right now. Does that sound like a good father? What would you think about a guy that did that? You wouldn't think he's got his kid's best interest at heart. So I think the way people have tried to preach about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I think it corrupts the nature of God. And I think if what you say about that corrupts the nature of God, that's your first indication it's probably not right. Yeah. Right? And then you start looking at deeper into the scripture. And what's interesting, the first thing it says about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is it describes it along with all the other trees. That it's... And the tree of life says you can eat from all of them. They're both right. in the midst of the garden. Yeah. The midst of the garden is the holiest place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So why would something that was corrupt be in the holiest place? And in fact, when the earthly tabernacle was presented later, the holiest place is a place that had to be so free from corruption that the high priest had to go through 50 gazillion rituals just to be cleansed from all defilement in order to get in there. Yeah. Right? And so now how is God going to have something in that place that is already corrupted? <sighs> And then you see after that, you see him say, don't eat from that tree. Yeah. Right. And then you find Ezekiel talking about the tree and talking about a cherub, a fallen angel and talking about the cherub corrupting his wisdom. OK, well, what does it mean that he corrupted his wisdom? 
And then you see it talking about how he rejected the river from which he got life, right? Okay, so if he got life from the river and he was close, it says he was the most beautiful tree. Decorated in God's life is what it's describing there. It, it's the similar decoration that you see the high priest clothed in when he comes in wearing the vest with all of the, the stones. It's also the similar decoration you see described of the New Jerusalem at the end. So that tree was clothed in that decoration that God promised to decorate us in. Now this tree is clothed in that. And this tree was clothed in that because of the river. Now that was supposed to speak something to us. God promised to decorate you in his life. You see, this tree is decorated in his life. Now that tree is decorated in his life because of the river. And then you would see the river, right? But then the tree started saying, no, look at me, right? You can be decorated in life if you will look at your own ability and you exalt yourself. Right? But it was supposed to be declaring, humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Right? That's what it was supposed to be declaring. That's why it talks about being fallen. But I think we're late. Yeah, so yeah. glory to God. That was, Sorry. That was good. And I should no, no, have it was good. Good. Yeah. good question. Good question. Yeah. Appreciate that.